Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome everybody to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, your source for Kentucky political news and commentary and talk from a constitutional and conservative perspective. As always, if you want to reach out to the show, send me an email at info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. Send that with, you know, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, things you want me to cover, send that on over. I don't expect you to necessarily agree with me on everything I have to say. And if you have an opinion, an opinion that you want uh, me to hear, and you don't feel like typing out a comment, then send it on over to me. But uh, please make sure uh, if you if you appreciate what we're doing, that you're sharing this out with everybody you know. As always, you can listen to it on 9 a.m. on WZXI Monday through Friday, and then catch it everywhere else at 1 p.m. each day. But without further ado, let's dig into today's topics. First, starting us off, you know, I'd been covering the Anderson County Schools situation. For those of you unaware, uh, I don't know how you'd be unaware at this point. I, if you listen to the show at all, you know I've covered it several times just in the past week. And now that the media is finally starting to pick up on it, and what's occurred here is that a guidance counselor saw fit to intervene into a Christian parent's raising of their child. Uh, they weren't abusing them in any way, shape, or form. And the guidance counselor sought to intervene in a way that the parents found to be inappropriate. And they filed lawsuit against Anderson County Schools. Now, what we've seen from the media coverage up to this point was mostly WKYT covered this uh, a day or two ago, covered the board meeting. Apparently, once hundreds of people start showing up at school boards, you just have to cover the story, no matter how much you don't want to. And their coverage was, let's say, lackluster, leaving out the bulk of the details, just saying it dealt with what the parents thought was an inappropriate relationship with the guidance counselor, leaving out, of course, that the Briscoe's daughter uh, uh, was brought in uh, without asking by the guidance counselor and then proceeded to facilitate uh, attorneys to try to get emancipation and uh, to coach the daughter on how to make CPS claims and collect evidence and send that over to the guidance counselor so she could try to claim uh, 
you know, something against the parents to CPS, all while telling the girl that, that she could come live in her basement and while facilitating a relationship uh, by inviting this girl and the uh, girl she was not supposed to be seeing into her office so they could see each other. Again, of course, the Briscoe's wishes. The list goes on and on and on of the issues. And I encourage you to go back and listen to old episodes. You can also go to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. If you scroll down in there, you'll see my uh, you know, most recent episodes. They are pulling from YouTube, so you can catch that if you need a refresher. But the Herald Leader has finally covered this with an article. And, and they did actually mention that this has to do with LGBTQ issues. Uh, of course, the article doesn't say much because, well, the media has found itself in a pretty tight spot. And so have a lot of the liberal mouthpieces, unless, of course, they want to say the quiet part out loud, the part we all have known. And that is they don't actually think that Christians should be allowed to raise their children with their values. That's what they really think. They can't come out and say that because there's no real way to claim that the Briscoes were committing some type of act of a child abuse that deserves CPS or deserves the guidance counselors to get involved in this way. The parents weren't beating their child. There's no allegations of that. They weren't abusing them in that way. They simply were saying, look, um, those types of relationships, this is Christian household. Uh, we're not going to condone that here. But that was too much for them to handle. Now, we have heard time and time again from these far left people, this stuff doesn't happen. But clearly, it does happen. It is happening. It's happening in ruby red rural counties like Anderson County here in Kentucky. And so the Herald Leader kind of somewhat explained what they could um, without going into very much detail. Um, you know, I, I, I think what they're waiting for right now is for the internet sluice, uh, and everybody else to try to dig up something. They're trying to get another side of the story and they can't seem to be able to access it. They can't get another side to the story when it comes to the Anderson County Briscoe's daughter situation, because, well, the other side, it appears, it, it would appear to me, um, that, well, because there maybe isn't another side. Uh, maybe exactly what the Briscoes say happened, happened, and it's not actually defensible unless you just want to say that Christians shouldn't be allowed to raise their children. Now, of course, the online liberals, this hasn't stopped them from piping in with their thoughts that the Briscoes, of course, aren't actually Christians. Um, of course, these individuals uh, have twisted the biblical Jesus to somehow mean that this love everyone kumbaya uh, involves allowing people to continue to sin without telling them what they're doing is a sin or is wrong. You know, I know Jesus was well known for going amongst the prostitutes and the Gentiles and telling them to continue sinning. It's okay. I love everyone. Um, he was very well known for that. I know he, he often uh, proclaimed to the prostitutes to continue to keep prostituting, keep sinning. Uh, he never once told them to stop doing that and to raise yourself out of that and you're better than that and you're more valuable than that. That is not something Jesus ever said. Oh, of course, that is all he said. Uh, he in no way, shape, or form ever encouraged people to continue to sin in this way. But regardless, these far lefties, 
Um, well, we can't accept expect them to actually understand what the Bible means. We can only expect them to twist it as much as they can in order to make it fit their evil worldviews to somehow say it's okay when a guidance counselor does this. And so until the Herald Leader and others can find some way to cover this in a way that doesn't solidify and back up every single claim that the conservatives in Kentucky have brought up that they've said they've been concerned about for these last several years, the indoctrination of children instead of the teaching. Don't they can find something like that. We'll continue to see sparse coverage, um, dishonest sometimes, leaving out as much facts as possible. They don't want you, of course, to draw your own conclusion until, well, they figure out what conclusion they want you to draw. Moving on from that, I, you know, I saw I on the episode yesterday, I talked about, um, and, and, and at nauseum, I've talked about how down ticket Republicans, why they won, why, um, you know, Bashir won, and then why the down ticket uh, Democrats won. And, and one of the comments I saw said, hey, look, the, the down ticket Republicans, they didn't do a whole lot of campaigning in the first place. And, and to that, I, I say, look, you got to keep in mind about typically low information elections and low information elections, bad people get elected, not a lot of money gets spent. And when it comes to those down ticket races, like uh, ag commissioner, like attorney general, like, um, you know, auditor, treasurer, secretary of state, there is not often a lot of money spent. We saw tens of millions spent, of course, for both candidates and the Republican and, and Democrat candidates there for governor, Bashir and Cameron. But I think the highest person to raise the most amount of money is Russell Coleman. He raised a million, just over a million. Um, everybody else down ticket was significantly under that, I do believe, um, and, and spending far less. But that's the same on the Democrat side as well. It's just, it's just, it's not there. And so you're not going to see a lot of necessarily campaigning. You'll see them going out, doing events, talking, those kinds of things. You're not going to get a whole lot of ads and mailers to your door because that's expensive. I mean, I don't think people realize to, to send a mailer out costs about 60 cents a household. So if you want to send out, you know, 10,000 mailers, that's going to cost you $6,000 and I'm seven, what, um, 1.4-ish million, 1.3, 1.3-ish million voters voted on Tuesday. That gets pretty expensive. But speaking of low information races, House District 88 state house race, that's one that typically low information. I want to give you some information on that. That's going to have to wait till after the break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky news and politics from constitutional and conservative viewpoint. We'll cover a little bit more on House District 88 after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And you are back with the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, your source for Kentucky political news and commentary. Before the break, I was talking about how low information races typically, you know, people just select based upon party. They don't really know much of information and uh, how there's not much money spent in them. And some of those low information races can typically be state house races. And I want to focus on state house district 88, currently occupied by Democrat Sherilyn 
Stevenson. Now, Sherilyn Stevenson, this race, this District 88, has historically been very, very close. Uh, Sherilyn Stevenson, I believe, won uh, the seat for the first time in 2020, narrowly beating Aaron Yates. And then an even closer election two years ago against her and Jim Coleman. I believe uh, it was lost by only a handful of votes, four or five votes at the most, I think. Um, it was definitely in the single digits. And so very close district. And so for a lot of Republicans out there, this is looked at as a seat that could potentially be picked up. But, you know, what's keep in mind, is it always good to, to always make sure that the Republican has the seat? And I'm not telling you to vote for a Democrat, but I do want to explain where the House is at right now. And when it comes to our state House races, how we can afford to be choosy on what kind of Republicans we actually want to elect. Because the bottom line is right now, 80%, 80 out of 100 of our state House reps are Republicans. Democrats make up a minority. Nothing a Democrat proposes, no amendments they put forward, no bills they put forward, uh, will typically get any kind of movement or any kind of push to them, unless, of course, uh, there's some extra special deals cut, and I don't know what they could offer them, because quite frankly, the Democrats don't have anything to offer. They are 20 votes. They are not needed to pass bills. They don't chair committees. Uh, they don't even make up a majority of committees. It's it's They are just not needed to get things done, typically conservative things done. And so with that in mind, when we're looking at these seats, we have to ask ourselves, look, we are in a stage of upgrading the Republicans we have in our state legislature. Simply slapping an R next to your name should not be good enough for you to get a seat at this point. It should be perfectly comfortable for individuals to say, I'm not going to vote in a race because this does not forward conservative values. It actually could hurt it because electing a bad Republican when we do have this such majority, see, if, if it was a slim majority, you would want to elect Republicans uh, uh, simply so, you know, the Republican speakers in place and then the Republican chairs get in place and so on and so forth. That can be an argument to vote for anybody with an R next to their name, but that's not a good argument in our current state house. And maybe you disagree. Maybe you're flabbergasted. You're saying, Andrew, you're saying in some cases you shouldn't vote for Republicans. I'm not telling you to vote for the Democrat. I would never tell you to do that. We're saying in some cases, maybe it's better not to vote. And perhaps what could end up being the race in House District 88 could be one of those. Because what we see right now is there's only one person declared on the Republican side of the ticket, I sure hope there ends up being another because the person who is declared on the Republican side of the ticket is a Vanessa Grossel, a Vanessa Grossel. And according to the information I have received and that has been relayed to me is that she became a registered Republican very, very recently and was formerly a registered Democrat, ardent Bernie Sanders supporter, I'm told. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm told those things, and I intend to believe them. And the reason why I can say that is because this liberal who's decided to throw an R next to their name, you can simply scroll their Twitter feed. And what you see is a pretty atypical uh, liberal Twitter feed. Let me, let me give you some examples. Um, let's first start off with the fact that, uh, you know, Vanessa here is a woman, clearly, a biological woman, clearly. and. She is very involved in the, 
I would call it the I am woman, hear me roar standpoint. Now, I have nothing against women in politics at all, women in uh, the legislature. I have donated to women running for office. I have had women running for office on this show, women who are currently in office. I have spoken at women running for offices, fundraisers, like I said, donate money to that, everything else. I have no problem with women being in office. I do have a problem when the fact that you're a woman in office is very important. When, when this idea that just simply because you have the right thing between your legs or you identify as the right gender means you are somehow, for some reason, this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. It shouldn't matter whether you're a woman or a man. All that should come down to is whether or not you would be a good representative. And let me show you a few of these tweets from this Vanessa Grossel. I think that's how you spell it. I think it's G-R-O-S-S-L. I thought it was an I at first at the end, but it's not. It's G-R-O-S-S-L. So I'm going to assume... It's Grossel. I, I might be saying that completely wrong. But here you go. Here's a first one, right? Uh, this is a retweet she put out there from the National Hispanic Caucus of State Legislators. It said, during the last term, only 15% of Puerto Rican legislators were women. Today, 14 women out of 27 were sworn into in as senators. The Senate of Puerto Rico, whatever their Twitter handle is, has a new majority women. Almost like it's its own political party. Your gender and immutable characteristic about you becomes it. But unless you think, Andrew, you're just making a big deal about that. Here's another thing that's both liberal and somehow also goes down this weird road of just the fact I'm a woman is why you should, for some reason, support me. Here she retweeted uh, from America Progress, the Raise the Wage Act would raise wages for nearly 32 million workers. More than one in four working women would see a raise. And it, and it has this graphic out that says 19 million women would benefit from raising the minimum wage to 15 an hour by 2025. Well, I can tell you something, Vanessa, uh, minimum wage is essentially 15 an hour. Uh, it is honestly anybody who's above the age of 18 and regularly working should be able to find jobs paying over 15 an hour. That shouldn't be too, too hard to come by in places like Lexington. Now, obviously, you go out to the rural areas. That could be a lot more difficult. Not saying that, but also is 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 well digging into this. Um, just the, the, this idea that raising the minimum wage is somehow a great way to get labor equity is ridiculous because obviously, and, and this is something I say to all people who are like, I want to get paid more, raise the minimum wage, super on it. Look, you don't want to make more money. I know that sounds crazy. You don't want to make more money, but what you want to do is buy more stuff. And it does nobody any good. I could raise your wage to $100 an hour. But if $100 an hour has the same buying power as 10 an hour, well, your wage is still effectively the same as you were making 10 an hour. And raising up minimum wages increases the cost of everything. The market does a fine job of setting what wage is worth. We're seeing tons of companies out here, well above 15 an hour, as I said. We don't need government intervention. And more importantly, that certainly isn't a super conservative take. But then to twist that in with, I am woman, hear me roar, ridiculous. Obviously a sign of a liberal. Here's another one. Uh, she, she tweeted this out. She said, grateful to attend the bipartisan congressional gala tonight 
as at care advocate. I will be celebrating the 117th Congress. Congress is now 27% women more than ever before a 50% increase from just a decade ago. Hashtag her story, hashtag woman's caucus. That's right. That's the most exciting thing is that, well, it's women, 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 women. And, and, and as I said, this is a good indication when, when you care about immutable characteristics like gender for your representation, when you care about things like skin color for your representation, that is anti-conservative. Uh, that is not focusing on just electing whoever does the best job. If it's a woman, great. If it's a man, okay. If it's a minority, great. If it's not, okay. I, it doesn't really matter. It's about who can do the best job. But this is a liberal take to care about this identity politics. And to follow that up, the piece of resistance on this, uh, she then tweets out, when women succeed, America su succeeds Speaker Pelosi. In a positive light, she is tweeting out a quote from Nancy Pelosi and is now running as a Republican here in Kentucky for a state house seat. And at least you think this is just on the, the, the woman's side of things, right? At least you think that's her only liberal tendency. Uh, let's take a look at the socialist services side of things. Here she's retweeting out from the Tax Foundation. Scan Scandinavian countries are well known for their broad social safety net and public funding of services like universal health care, higher education, parental leave, and child and elderly care. So how do they pay for their government spending? She also had other tweets where she's talking about wanting government to expand their services. You know what? Not a single tweet. It's not just what's on their Twitter. It's about what's missing from their Twitter. Not a single one of her tweets talked about government spending less money. In fact, she had several retweets and posts herself that all center around government spending more of your hard-earned money. Not a conservative viewpoint at all. Certainly not a fiscal conservative. Look, if you want conservatives to spend more of your money, you got plenty of them in the House right now. Don't waste your vote on Vanessa Gossel. If she's on your ballot, it ain't worth it. You got enough liberals to spend all your money up there with an R next to their name. You don't need to add one more. You're better off having Sherilyn Stevenson, the Democrat, at some point, because at least her beliefs don't see the light of day. But when there's an R next to their name, their bills, their amendments, they do see the light of day. That's what's so scary here. Now, at least you think this is just on the liberal identity politics as well as, of course, the uh, wanting to see the uh, more government spending. She also had some pretty awful COVID takes. We'll have that after this short break. This is the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky political news and talk from a constitutional and conservative viewpoint. We'll see you back here in just a few short minutes. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. As a reminder, if you want to reach out to the show, send an email to info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. Before the break, I was talking about uh, Democrat turned conservative or liberal turned conservative, uh, pretend conservative, Vanessa Gossel, running for State House District 88, throwing an R next to her name because that's the only way she could be competitive in the race despite her extremely liberal beliefs and backgrounds. I was covering her identity politics views, her uh, belief of more government spending more and more money. And finally, uh, I want to cover also um, 
what she thought of COVID. So outside of a litany, and I mean a litany of tweets, retweets, all during COVID, all about how we need to flatten the curve, retweeting Dr. Stack, Amy Bashir's uh, head Gestapo man, forcing down the medical tyranny we saw during 2020, retweeting everything he has to say, his hashtag Team Kentucky, flatten the curve, stay home, shut down businesses, wear masks, get your shots, outside of retweeting every single thing they could. I did pull a few other ones that just go to show this individual's personal push. So here's one uh, about the COVID vaccine. The, uh, retweeting from Pew states, the irony is that people who most need quick access to the vaccine may be those who are least likely to have internet skills or access to make an online appointment online appointment. Once again, tearing in this whole idea that, well, one, of course, that everybody needs to get uh, uh, the shot. And if, and we saw what those types of people did to our society with those beliefs. If you want to get the shot, go get it. That's your choice to make. But uh, to sit there and continue to push it on people, absolutely ridiculous. Something that Vanessa Grossel engaged in. But on top of that, uh, to once again bring in this identity politics, disenfranchise people, so on and so forth. At least you believe that that's the only COVID diversity, equity, inclusion, identity politics BS this liberal had to say. We have this one where uh, she was she was so elated. She tweeted out that she was elated to be serving as moderator on this panel. And this panel was from the Council of State Governments says hashtag COVID-19 is disproportionately affected hashtag low income and hashtag minority communities. In tomorrow's session, we hear strategies for hashtag state leaders on hashtag inclusive COVID-19 relief to combat hashtag pandemic related hashtag disparities. So she moderates this uh, uh, panel called inclusive COVID-19 relief impacts on immigrant communities and state level responses in November of 2020. That is exact. That screams very conservative to me, doesn't it? To you? I mean, I typically see conservatives engaging in identity politics, engaging in pro lockdown rhetoric, engaging in, um, you know, this kind of uh, uh, government services. How do we spend more of your money based upon people's skin color and gender celebrating people rising into power simply because they have the right gender to them. As a further example, the type of judgment we can expect from Vanessa, the type of people she supports. We have one more tweet uh, from her. Oh, sorry. That was the tweet from Nancy Pelosi. Here you go. Um, congratulating Dr. Liz Sheehan for uh, a, an incredible campaign in serving Fayette County. Well, the fifth district is in good hands. I'm beaming with pride for you, friend. She's very excited, very happy to see Liz Sheehan win city council. For those of you unaware uh, Liz Sheehan uh, is extremely liberal. Uh, those longtime listeners of the show will have heard her uh, chiming in uh, about the great uh, seating chart debacle the Lexington City Council engaged in where they were worried about diversity, equity, and inclusion as far as where the city council members would sit. All 15 of them, they were worried that there would be too many white people on one side and too many minorities on the other and and so they had to have assigned seats that were properly uh, uh, salted in with with the right kind of diversity. That's the person. Those are the types of people that Vanessa Grossel, whatever her name is, supports. That's who she is. She's a liberal. That's who she is. I have no doubt in my mind. And maybe you're listening to this. Maybe you know her. Maybe you've met her even as she's 
peddled herself out there to conservatives across the city and counties of Fayette and Scott County here recently. And maybe you like what she had to say to you, but ask yourselves a few questions. One, where has she been all this time? Um, where, where has, has she showed up to any kind of Republican events, conservative events before? Have you ever seen her at another fundraiser? Have you ever seen her at a party meeting? Have you ever seen her at anything remotely conservative before she decided that she needed to be Republican to run for office? Of course not. You haven't seen her because she wasn't there because she wasn't a conservative. And at that time, she wasn't trying to pretend to be one. But maybe you like her. Maybe you say, well, she's friendly. She's a friend. That's great. You can have friends that are liberals. I have friends that are liberals, I think, maybe. I don't know if they're still my friends. I have friends that disagree with me. I have people that I am friendly with and I like as a person, but I don't particularly like their policies. I think a great example of this is somebody like Alan Keck. I like Alan Keck as a person. Mayor of Somerset, he was running for governor. Fantastic guy. One of my favorite people to hang around with. If I could choose a person to have a beer with in politics right now, it'd probably be Alan Keck. But when it comes to his actual policies at the state level, maybe at a city level, different story, but on a state level, I generally found myself disagreeing with the nitty gritty policy side of it because a lot of it involved more government spending. And I had an issue with that and I had an issue with that premise. But I still like him as a person. But liking someone as a person is a lot different than saying, I want them to make policy that controls my life. There you have to ask, what do they value? What do they think government's role is? It shouldn't be about whether or not you like a person. It should be about what is their philosophical beliefs on these items. And when we look at everybody and say, well, I'm going to vote for this person just because I like them without taking a hard look at what their actions have been, what their words have been, what do they politically believe in? Well, you'll keep getting horrible, horrible representatives and horrible results for Kentuckians. And this is, and, and this year, this keeps happening. We keep getting these liberal Republicans like uh, Killian Timoney, uh, like, you know, Kim Mosier, we keep getting these liberal Republicans because they have to throw R's next to their name in order to run for office, in order to win, because that's their easiest path to power. But we don't need them all in power. Once again, the state house has 80 out of 100 Republicans. I'm telling you to vote for a Democrat. But right now, with how much seats the Republicans hold, maybe it's time to start showing that if you're not a actual conservative, we don't want to vote for you in this seat. Maybe Vanessa Grossel might be somebody that I'd say, yeah, okay, vote for her if it's something like Lexington City Council, which is already very, very liberal and literally somebody with just a slight, maybe tiny little conservative inkling would be an improvement over what we have. And we have to take a, a, a hard look at who they have to pretend to be to get elected, at least initially in this case. You know, they're not going to get elected coming out against the massive amount of government spending that goes into things like the gay pride parade every time. But that's not the position we're in as a state legislature. That may be where we're at as a city council and somewhere like Lexington, but that's not where we are as a state legislature. It is time to be electing only conservatives. And if a few people fall out of seats, so be it. If that's what it takes to get conservative things done. They're so worried about holding on to every single seat 
that it's freezing them in place from doing conservative things or actually even backpedaling. As an example of this, we have a front page article from yesterday's Herald Leader, and it's titled, A Republican, uh, uh, KY, Kentucky, sorry, GOP leaders say they're open to abortion exceptions, backpedaling on pro-life stances. That's where we are because they're worried about, oh, we got to hold on to all of our 80 seats or more. We need more seats. We need more than 80% of the seats. Then maybe we might actually do something conservative, but what's it worth if we have to sell out everything we have to stand for? I'm going to go over this article in more depth because I think it really points to the danger of electing people like Vanessa Gossel. Once again, I hope somebody else jumps into that primary and wins and pushes her out. Otherwise, in District 88, I guess you just got to leave that ballot blank because there is no way at all I'm going to suggest to anybody to vote for a liberal with an R next to their name. It goes against everything I believe in. But we got to go to a break. Coming up after this, we'll be going over that article. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative perspective. And welcome back to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Thank you for joining us in the final segment. Before this, I was talking about um, the Republic, the currently only declared Republican candidate in House District 88 and how she's no Republican at all, Vanessa Gossel, and talking about how electing those types of people, these kinds of lackluster Republicans, when we have an 80% majority in our state legislature is incredibly damaging to the conservative cause as a whole. If you're a real conservative, if you're a real Republican, and this is something you believe in, and you don't just think that anybody with an R next to their name, well, they're okay. It's just team red shirt versus team blue shirt. R versus D. If you think saying you're a conservative and you're a Republican actually means something, actually stands for something, then you've got to stop a backslide. you got to stop these liberal candidates with an R next to their name from grabbing control because that's how we've gotten, as I was saying before the break, this article here from the Herald Leader. The Kentucky GOP leaders say they're open to abortion exemptions. I'm going to quote Stivers here. He, Stivers, Senate President, Senator Stivers, he's president of the Senate, when asked about uh, abortion exemptions, this is what he had to say. He said, we're getting ready to have our caucus and kind of go through this, this will be a decision that everybody has varying opinions as to what should happen or what shouldn't happen. It's such a personal issue to people. We're going to have to have that type of discussion amongst ourselves and then collaborate with the House. And then the House Speaker, Osborne, so kind of like the equivalent to Stivers, said, there's been a general school of thought all along that ultimately the Kentucky Supreme Court would step in on this measure and mandate that we do something that's not going to happen in the short term. So I think that conversation is going to continue to happen. Why is this conversation continuing to happen? And I, and I know there's a lot of Republicans out there that at the first whiff of something uh, difficult, at the first whiff of they realize that they might have to actually work and be strategic when it comes to political messaging, wants to abandon any kind of principle at all, because once again, they're the type of people that, well, it's just long as Republicans are winning, I don't care if we don't actually, you know, stand for anything. And when it comes to the abortion issue for so long, these Republicans have received these endorsements from groups like Kentucky Right Life and others, 
all claiming that they don't believe in exemptions for incest and rape. Maybe you're somebody out there who's listening to this and says, look, I'm against abortion, but you know, incest and rape makes me, uh, you know, a little squeamish and uncomfortable. Um, and so I don't want to be mean. I want to be nice. So therefore I believe that, uh, children have different value based upon how they were conceived because that is what you're saying. And I've said this millions of times over on this show, but it bears repeating. I dare you to look at a five-year-old that was born through a normal conception process and then look at a five-year-old that is born through something like rape or incest. And I want you to look at that five-year-old that was conceived through more forceful means and tell them that their life has less value than the person next to them. I want you to tell them that because that is what you believe. You see, you say you're against abortion because you recognize that a baby in the womb has value, has some sort of value as a person. The minute you say, but if they're conceived in a certain way, they now have less value. Well, then you, that carries through the rest of their life. If that's what you believe, that's what carries through the rest of their life. And I get it. It's hard. It's squeamish. It's, it's difficult to look at this situation and say that a, a victim of rape or incest has to have the baby. That's difficult to say. I get it. But standing for principles isn't always easy. Yeah, there are difficult situations like that that happen. A lot of hard things occur. But that doesn't mean we should start saying, well, you know, if something happens to you, then we're okay with murder. And it, like I said, it, it doesn't make sense. There is no logical sense. The minute you say you're okay with rape or incest, please tell me why you're okay. You're, you're not okay with abortion of other kind then. Because what? You say, well, it's the woman's choice, you may say. And in this situation, it wasn't the woman's choice. And so women have a choice. Well, now you sound like a pro-abortionist and they know that all they need you to do is say this little piece here to admit that under certain circumstances, outside of life of the mother, which has a whole different principle to it, outside of certain circumstances, there are certain circumstances where it's okay to murder a child. The minute you say that, they can get in there and they can grab hold of you. And... What we see now is a bunch of spineless Republicans that have either A, never really thought through their position on abortion, or B, are concerned more with holding on to power than they are about the murder of children. Like I said, I never want to be a part of a party, and I don't want to vote for people who say, well, what we need to do to win is say it's okay to murder children. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't. Maybe you can disagree with me, and that's your choice, once again, to disagree with me. But if that's what you believe, that all life has value, and that abortion is murder, something maybe you've said before, well, then what you're saying is that, well, you know, I guess if a couple of childs need sacrifice for me to hold on to office, I'm A-OK -okay with it. 
And I want to ask if you really felt strongly about this, all the legislators up there that say they're pro-life and actually look at this the way they claim to, way they claim to, I want you to start naming names because they say that there's a lot of varying opinions on this uh, as to what should happen and shouldn't happen. But last I checked, nearly every single, nearly almost 100%, it's really close to 100%, of Republicans in the House and Senate have been endorsed by Kentucky Right to Life at some point. And a part of Kentucky Right to Life survey is, do you believe in exemptions for rape and incest? And if you say, yes, I do, you don't get their endorsement. You don't get said that you have 100% pro-life answers. So nearly every single person up there is on the record saying that they do not believe in exemptions, but suddenly now they do. They should be called out for this. They should be pointed at by other legislators and Kentucky Right to Life should be aware of this. I mean, if, can, either Kentucky Right to Life has a choice now. They really do. They can either continue to be stooges for the establishment and just endorse everybody they say to, or they can actually start to realize that they've been using your issue like they use every other issue to run cover for their lack of principle, to run cover for their lack of conservative values, and to create an emotional response out of voters. And with your little seal, they can get a, okay. And you can roll up your hands and say enough is enough. If you're going to go back on what you told us, if we've endorsed you and now you're saying you now want to murder children, we're taking the gloves off. We're going to actively work against you. It's not just we're not going to give you our little seal as you run for re-election, something you don't need anymore because, well, you're running for re-election. You'll get enough help from Everybody that you've voted on bills for, they'll send you money because, well, you voted the right way in a bill for them and they've made money off the government, made money off the people, made money off your choices. They don't need any more. But when, when Right to Life decides, you know, what, we're going to start going after some of these people is when you'll see a difference. But yet, despite Cameron's flip-flop, despite Russell Coleman's flip-flop, Russell Coleman flip-flop went against his... Uh, answers on that survey, running for attorney general, Russell Coleman, attorney general-elect, he came out flip-flopping on abortions and he now believes in exemptions. And yet, to this day, right now, on Kentucky Right to Life's website, he's endorsed with 100% pro-life answers. Even though he literally said something completely against his answers. They don't even have the gumption to remove that off their website. We've got to start sticking it to them here. Because we're going to start, we're, we're going to keep seeing these things. As we see more liberal Republicans winning elections, as well, not winning elections, but more liberal Republicans running for office because that's their only way to power. As we see these leadership pushing this, well, we just have to abandon abortion as an issue because we can't get our heads out of our butts enough to figure out how to message on this in a winning way. We can't challenge a person on the fact that, well, do you really believe children have less value based on how they're conceived? They can't say that. They can't challenge people on that. They don't know how to message on it. And because of that, they want to abandon it. They'd rather just murder children. And until we take a stand against those exact kinds of Republicans, quote-unquote Republicans, so-called conservatives in this state, we will continue to lose on our values. 
Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining me. We'll be back here tomorrow at 9 a.m. on WZXI, 1 o'clock everywhere else. Y'all have a great rest of your day.